BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Diversion Podcasts. I always played basketball uh, with my family. We moved to Italy. And, uh, I was raised over there. Matured very well over there, faster than anybody else here in America, maybe. And when I came back, um, I had to adapt to the lifestyle. And I loved the game of basketball because it was totally different, more fast-paced. Life was more upbeat. And playing the basketball floor it was more physical. So I had adapting in both frames. On the morning of September 7, 2020, Labor Day, I got a text message from my father-in-law, who's a real estate agent. Did you know, he asked, that Kobe Bryant's old house is up for sale? I did now. I was still in the midst of researching and writing my book on Kobe, The Rise, and I thought there might be a chance if I got lucky, that I could get in touch with the owners and arrange a time to see the house. Actually, I got even luckier than that. The owners' names were Richard and Kate Baer. I looked up the name of their realtor. I called him, and he called them. And by 11 o'clock in the morning, I was standing inside the five-bedroom colonial at 1224 Remington Road in Wynwood. The house that Joe and Pam Bryant had bought for $82,000 on Christmas Eve, 1975. The house they kept while they spent eight years living mostly in Italy. The house where Kobe Bryant grew up. And I was going to go look inside. I'm Mike Sealski, and from Diversion Podcasts, this is I Am Kobe. Episode 3. A young man in Lower Marion. However, the house does have a story, and I can I can remember clearly the day that we took the tour in the house. Pamela Bryan, Nancy Stewart. I didn't know who she was or anybody was. Just this elegant woman with a long, long skirt on, like an everyday skirt, not an evening skirt, and hair down to her shoulders, big hoop earrings down to her shoulders. <laughs> Around Philadelphia. The area where Kobe Bryant lived when his family moved back from Italy to the States is known as the Main Line. And for most of its history, old money Protestants have made up its upper class. 
In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the main line was a vacation haven for bigwigs who lived in the city, especially for executives with the Pennsylvania Railroad, which cut right through the region. Eventually, they started moving out there to live full-time. By the 1930s, black people clustered in particular neighborhoods and worked as bellhops, maids, laborers, and in other blue-collar jobs. And by the 1950s, Jews relocated to the area from West Philadelphia, diversifying Lower Marion Township even more over time. It became a melting pot, but its affluent neighborhoods remained very affluent. Guy Stewart was a year ahead of Kobe at Lower Marion High School, and he was a teammate and friend of Kobe's too. The Bryants lived in a suburb called Wynwood. Guy grew up in another nearby township called Ardmore, so his experience as a kid was a little different from Kobe's. It was good and challenging, right? So growing up in Lower Marion, you had the luxuries of being in the, in, in the suburbs, you know, all the amenities that are that are available to you through Lower Marion School District, through being in Ardmore and growing up near near that area. We lived in an area, in a section in Ardmore, where, you, you, you know, you were still able to be around people that that looked like you and you guys had the same kind of goals and, and thoughts and experiences. So you were able to kind of relate to some things um, or actually to a lot of things. Right. But on the, on the other side, it's like you're growing up in an area where it's predominantly, you know, white, as you know, the main line is, is there's a lot of money out there. So, you know, getting used to that, having friends that live in these big mansions, driving you know cars especially in, in high school you know you, your your classmates are coming to school in, in different types of cars than you are and unfortunately there there were times where you were just singled out or not included because you know you you, you were kind of different but a lot of great people in Laura Marion that I grew up with and went to school with um, a lot of great relationships that I continue to have now with with a lot of those guys whether it be you know, in my neighborhood or, or outside in like Narberth and Wynwood and Ballatinwood areas. So, you know, it was, those are the kind of like the two sides of it, but you still live close enough to Philadelphia where you were able to kind of drive in and play in those playgrounds and kind of get that different experience of playing with guys from the city. Joe and Pam Bryant moved out to Los Angeles with Kobe after he joined the Lakers in 1996, and apparently other members of the Bryant family would continue to use or stay in the house. But Joe and Pam didn't sell it to the Bears until 2008, which got me thinking, why would they hold on to it that long? I could only guess that the house meant a lot to them. It was where their children, especially their youngest child, had grown up. And if you've seen the house you'd understand why they might have felt such affection for it. It had colorful beds of flowers in the front, a driveway that wrapped around the entire property, and of course, a basketball hoop above the two-car garage. Still, by the standards of the main line, it was pretty modest, which is pretty incredible if you're standing inside it or walking around it. And you can imagine that they would sit here Watch their basketball games yeah. right there. I mean, 
which is, so that's pretty cool. Um, I'll just take you around. In this room, this is an interesting room to me. It's still a playroom. They had here a table of gorgeous wood from Africa. Oh, wow. And I didn't know, you know who Pamela was, but I just said, oh, my gosh, would you be willing to sell that? And she says, no, it all has, you know, personal Kate Bear remembered every detail of the way the Bryant's house used to be, and she described all of it to me as she gave me a tour from room to room. In the family room, the Bryant's had a giant television that covered the entire wall, not far from a set of sliding glass doors that led to their backyard. That often tells you something about the people living in the house. Here was a playroom for the kids. This wasn't the only place. I just want to say, I have my own bias about who these people were, okay. are. And I saw this house as being very caring and warm mm. and affectionate. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of little things, and you piece them all together. Like even the big TV, and everybody, you just see them sitting around the TV. The walls, top to ceiling, were covered with African art. Wow. She led me down a hallway and opened a panel to a crawl space. Inside, there was a heating pipe with something written on it in fat black marker. It looked like a label, so that you'd know what pipe led to what part of the house. Second floor, Kobe's room. So that's why when we had this all insulated, we had them cut that piece out. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. Hold on. So we know exactly which room was his, which I'll take you to next. Oh, man. To get to Kobe's old bedroom, we had to pass through the living room. And there, on the floor, taking up half the space, was the basketball hoop and backboard that had once hung above the garage and driveway. It's right here, in the living room. And that's because everybody was stopping by, taking pictures. And we just didn't come in. This must have been madness for you over the last few days. It was, we were standing guard. Oh. You know, like, watching out the window. Is it still there? Is it still there? Oh, man. So then we had to have it taken down. The realtor was afraid somebody would steal it, too. Yeah. The front of the rim was bent downward about an inch. It was impossible to look at the hoop and not think about Kobe and his father. How many games of one-on-one had they played on that basket? Was that rim bent because of all the times they had dunked on it? Had to be, right? God, this basket represented all the thousands of hours that Kobe had spent honing his craft, learning the nuances and little tricks of the game from Joe. So many hours of father and son together. And now there it was, upended and askew on the living room floor. Yeah, every inch was covered with, I don't want to call it artwork, but you know, stuff. Of course, this is not his bedroom. Right. Kate then turned to me and showed me a photo that she had kept on her phone. It was of a picture that Pam Bryant had hung above her son's bed, a representation of two guardian angels, both of them black. Between the angels were these words. God has given each of us an angel in our life. And if in life we seek his way, he will surely guide us right. That was the thing so it was right above his bed. Oh, totally right above his bed. Pictures, pictures, pictures everywhere. I mean little framed things like this. But this, you say, that's so sweet. Yes. I mean, of course, uh, we're just taking a tour. Da, da, da. I don't know who they are, and I'm thinking, these are sweet people living here, you know? 
these pictures and things like that, they tell a story. Yeah. The TVs and all, all those things tell a story. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, the story is one of calmness and comfort. Mm -hmm. It's just, and sweetness. Yeah. And caring. It's a caring, loving house. That was my impression. Look, I'm a career counselor for, you know, with executives for my most of my life. And so I, I remember things like that, you know, and I noticed things like that. We moved on to the study. There were old magazines from the 1980s and 1990s on the shelves of a wall unit and on Joe Bryant's old desk. It felt like we were walking through a museum, but there were no ropes to keep us from touching and examining the exhibits. One magazine stood out. Michael Jordan was on the cover, wearing his white Chicago Bulls jersey, smiling brightly, a cigar in his left hand. This was a Sports Illustrated, 1992. And then here's Kobe's, the address sticker is to Kobe. Wow. How old was he then? He would have been 14. Oh, is that sweet? Now 13, he would have, because he, he would have turned 14 in August. <sighs> 13 years old, that was his idol, mm -hmm. and here it was addressed to him. It was all, all sweet, and that was my impression. And I always felt pretty adamant about that. Yeah. You know, I was like, no, this was a whole family. This isn't just Kobe's house. Right. Without that family, there would be no Kobe as we know. Exactly. So who was Kobe Bryant back then, right after he and his family returned from Europe in the fall of 1991? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, this is Mike Sielski, host and writer of I Am Kobe. This podcast project came out of my work on a related book called The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. If you want to explore other parts of Kobe's story, check out The Rise. It's not just a book version of the podcast. I dive deeper into some of the topics covered in this series and even some that we don't cover at all. Kobe's upbringing, his family, his identity, his effect on his friends and teammates, his journey into the NBA, and his earliest days with the Lakers. The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality is out now. Just head over to theriseofkobebook.com and you can buy it from any of your favorite retailers. That's theriseofkobebook.com. Thanks. Kobe wasn't quite flashing the Mamba mentality yet. He was 13 years old, and he was jumping into the middle of the school year at Balakinwood Middle School. Then, after a few more months, boom, he was heading to Lower Marion, a public high school in the suburbs just outside Philadelphia, a school where about 10% of the students were black. Joe got a job at Akiba Hebrew Academy, a Jewish day school on the main line. You might have heard of Akiba, or at least some of its alumni. 
Jake Tapper from CNN went there, and so did the best-selling author and media personality Mitch Albom. Joe was the girls' basketball coach there, but it wasn't like Akiba's players were all ticketed to play for UConn or Baylor someday. These girls were just learning the game, trying to master its fundamentals. And Joe was happy to teach them that and a few other things. He'd have the players practice dribbling behind their backs and between their legs, stuff that, to him, was just fun. That's kind of what the job was to Joe, just fun. He'd even bring Kobe to practice from time to time. And it was there where both Joe and Kobe Bryant met Jeremy Treatment, the, the man who would become their friend and confidant uh, for the first time. First time I remember seeing Kobe on a basketball court was at Akiba Hebrew Academy uh, on a side basket. I was coaching the JV boys, and his father, Joe Bryant, was coaching the girls. It was a Sunday morning, and Kobe uh, came in, and he just started doing the mic and drill on a side basket, and then he was taking some short jumpers. Now, mind you, both, both courts were being used at the time uh, for practices. So he just, he didn't have anywhere really to go. But then I just started watching him elevate. It wasn't really dunking, but his, but his both hands were over the rim. I mean, he was, he was kind of laying them in. And then I saw him hitting some side corner shots from, on both rims. And that's when I started to ask Joe about him. And what did Joe say? I, I said, how, how good is Kobe? Is he going to be anything like you? At 12 years old, 13 years old, he's so much better than, than I was. It's not even close. I said, really? I mean, you were like, uh, you went to Bartram, you were like the number one player in the area. You went to LaSalle, you were number one draft pick. Um, are, are, you, are you implying that he's going to be better than you? He said, Jeremy, he's going to be so much better than me, it's not even funny. I'm like, really? He goes, you're six foot ten. you're Magic Johnson. Like, I guess, Jeremy, it's not even close. He, he's so much better than me, it's not even close. Jeremy couldn't believe what he was hearing. He'd grown up loving Philly basketball. He'd seen Joe Bryant play. He knew how good Joe was. And Kobe was going to be better? And how did your relationship with Kobe develop from there? It went kind of through Joe Bryant, because me and Joe hit it off from the beginning. and we, we were very close for about nine years, 1992 to 2001. There wasn't a week that went, went by we didn't talk. So the more I got to be around Joe, the more I got to be around Kobe and been over the house a couple of times and seen them at Akiva many times, saw them at LaSalle a few times. It's a rare thing to have a genuine epiphany, to be able to pinpoint the instant when you know you've uncovered something or come across someone who will be famous or special in some way. There's a story about a man named John Landau who was a music critic and became an influential record producer. In 1974, Landau went to a concert for an up-and-coming band at the Harvard Square Theater in Massachusetts. Afterward, he wrote this. I saw my rock and roll past flash before my eyes. I saw something else. I saw rock and roll's future. And its name is Bruce Springsteen. Well, Jeremy Treatman had just had his Bruce Springsteen moment. He saw the future of basketball, and its name was Kobe Bryant.
I can remember being real nervous, going shoot around. I didn't know what to expect. First playoff game, uh, team being so young, I really didn't know what to expect. I just came ready to play for myself, but I really didn't want to shoot doing shoot around. I was just so nervous. But during the game, uh, my teammates came out with a lot of enthusiasm and started playing very hard. Uh, and I knew right from there that we can go a long way. And I was struggling a little bit that game. I got my first technical foul. I was trash-talking a little bit to, to a guy on the other team. And the ref saw it as I was taunting or something like that. So he gave me a technical foul. Uh, but I didn't score a lot that game. And the same guy I was talking trash to said uh, that they were locking me up or something. So I told him that the next play I was going to dunk on the whole team. And he just kind of looked at me funny. And the next play I came down, dunked on the whole team. And I told him, I said, I told you I could do whatever I want out here. But before Kobe could take over American basketball, he had to adjust to America. And that process wasn't quite so smooth. Here's Jeremy again. He just come from Italy, and he he, he kind of used basketball to, to, as a social life. Like, he just played basketball, played basketball, just like he did in Italy. Everybody was kind of different to him, because he was from 4 to 12. He grew up in mm-hmm. Italy, so he was, he was like a foreigner. He was yeah. like the foreign student. Right. You know, it was like he was, I mean... Forget that he's born here and established O'Brien. He was more like an Italian kid coming to a uh, versatile neighborhood mm-hmm. six miles from the city of Philadelphia. And so if you were going to be a basketball guy, you know, soon you were going to learn what West Philly was and North Philly was and South Philly was. And I, I think he may have heard it all from his dad, but until you experience it, mm-hmm. I, don't, I think it was all, I think it was, it was a little mind-blowing. Kobe and his sisters didn't know much of anything about American pop culture. What was cool, what wasn't, what to wear, what to watch, what music to listen to, the catchphrases, the slang, the shared language and experiences that are so important to making friendships and bonding with peers at that age. Cheers, The Cosby Show, The Arsenio Hall Show, Eat My Shorts. Kobe didn't know what any of those things were. He didn't have the same familiarity with that stuff that his peers did. I mean, I was a new student my freshman year of high school, too, way back in the fall of 1989. But at least I knew who Paula Abdul was. Here's Guy Stewart again. I think it was a real culture shock for him and his family. They dressed different when they first came to Lower Marion, so... You know, there was some teasing. There were some some people being a little bit standoffish um, with them being new and, and, and kind of looking different and dressing different. And I think being on the basketball team, being as good as he was his freshman year, kind of helped him uh, integrate into the school a lot easier than it would be for somebody that wasn't playing a sport. I think so over time, you know, as they got used to the kind of the – the way we dressed here and, 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 and different things, they were, quote-unquote, and I'm doing air quotes, they were accepted a little bit more. But, you know, but I don't think it was it was that bad. They they are a, a great family. The sisters are great, and, and obviously Kobe is great. It was an easier transition because of the character that they had 
and it's just the way that they interacted with people. They didn't have their nose up or, or anything like that. They just they were just super friendly. It just took them time to kind of get used to how we were in, back in the States. You mentioned that they dressed differently. How did they dress? Um, it was like, like a lot of European clothing and, and you know, bigger clothing. They, I mean, obviously they dressed different in, in, in Italy than they did over here. So we were more into different fashions at that time and wearing our clothes differently. They just weren't used to that. But, you know, they quickly were able to adapt and, and kind of get rid of the European clothes and get with the fashions that, that were here at that time. Plus, he had basketball. Kobe joined the team at Balakinwood Middle School right away, and he was the best player on the team right away, which was great news to anyone who followed or cared about Lower Marion High School basketball. Bala fed its students and its student-athletes into Lower Marion once they graduated eighth grade. And just a couple of years earlier, the high school had hired a new boys basketball coach, Greg Downer. And as soon as he got there, Downer knew that the program needed a shot in the arm. I inherited kind of like a sub 500 type program. Um, they were struggling with academics, get that cleaned up. And, you know, I didn't really have any long-term goals other than probably working hard, uh, infusing some energy into the program with, with the young person and, you know, trying to make basketball important. Um, basketball had become probably unimportant when they were struggling before I got there with some of those sub 500 seasons um, but there was there was no master plan and then uh, certainly any coach would be lucky to uh, come across a, a talent like Kobe Bryant but the coach at Balakinwood Middle School Dr. George Smith had strict rules that he expected all his players to follow including Kobe Bala played only zone defense, and on offense, Dr. Smith insisted that the team pass the ball three times before taking a shot. He was like Gene Hackman in Hoosiers. Kobe, of course, didn't want to pass the ball so much. He didn't want to pass the ball at all, and he took Dr. Smith's instructions as a slight, as a sign of disrespect. In his mind, he was getting slighted a lot, and like many great athletes, he used those doubts to motivate himself. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In 1996, a year after Kevin Garnett had gone straight to the NBA out of high school, Kobe talked with Jeremy about how long he'd been thinking about turning pro himself. And what was stunning was Kobe had been thinking about it seriously since eighth and ninth grade. I met a great friend by the name of Matt McCall. 
coach, I can do this or whatever. He wasn't really going to believe me. But then when I started to achieve the things I was going to do, they really started believing me. He really had no doubt. Because whatever I said I was going to do, I was going to accomplish. And I, it came a day when I told him I was going to, I was going to have the option to either go to the NBA um, straight out of high school. And he kind of looked at me. I said, well, you doubting me? Not this year, or like ninth grade. Ninth grade, ninth grade. He said, "No, no." He said, "No, I can't. I can't doubt you anymore." Every time I doubt you, he proves me wrong. And now the day, the day has come. I'm a senior. Everybody starts talking about. Uh, you know, I have the ability to go to the NBA, especially because Kevin had made the jump, so he kind of opened doors. And people thought that that's why I was considering it, but it never crossed my mind. But he was. I had it. I had it all along. All along, he just beat me to the punch. He kind of wish that he had done it. No, actually, I'm kind of happy that he did it because it takes a little bit of the pressure off me. I came back in the middle of my eighth grade year, and I used to play basketball, and uh, Matt used to tell everybody I'm going to be a pro one day. And they used to be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And not even going that far, people used to say, oh, he's not that good now. He averaged about 15 points. That's because the coach wouldn't let me shoot. That's another story. There was a matter of fact, there was a three-on-three hoop it up tournament. I was in middle school at Valley Kenwood. There was a three-on-three hoop it up tournament at Lower Marion High School. And uh, it was me, Matt Matkoff, and, and Dave Lassman. Oh, that's why he lost. No, we no. won. <laughs> we, they said, uh, people were saying that. They were like, uh, yeah, you guys are not going to win. They're like, yeah, right. You won bad. Like, you're going to this high school game. You're not going to win. It's like such a big deal, I guess. Like, man, put your money where your mouth is. They said, nah, nah, you're not going to win. You think you're so good. I'm like, all right. We went there, won it did that. So I come back, I'm like, guys, I'm going to start on varsity next year. Everybody just started laughing, like, yeah, right, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. Yeah, like, I'm in, yeah, high school seniors and my classmates. And people in my, in my grade were like, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm sitting I'm starting, leading score, leading rebounding. It was funny, man. It was funny, but there was a lot of doubt. Then I said, uh, Matt said, he's going to be a Division One college player. Yeah, right, he can't do that. He can't do that. He's not going to be a man like Austin or whatever. Just a lot of doubt right there. Calm that. Then he said, he's going to be a pro. He might even go out of high school if he wanted to. Yeah, right. So when one end came out, the other, everybody, oh, shut up. Yo, you, you're on him. Get off him. That message. Like, I'm, not, I'm not just saying it. Just to be saying it. I'm telling you, I'm with him every day. He's that good. Like, yeah, okay. So to this day, now it's funny comes up to me and says, Cole, people are starting to doubt you again. Like, I, don't, I don't understand why people would doubt you again. Because they agree, you all the odds and you proved everybody wrong. But now the same people are starting to doubt you again. Because you not proved everybody wrong again. I listened to Kobe here. And I can't get over the chip that he carried on his shoulder back then. He cared so much about what people thought about him when he was 14 years old. You want an insight into the Mamba mentality? That's it. That's a 14-year-old who doesn't believe he's going to play in the NBA. He knows it. And he's going to do whatever he has to do. Work harder, practice more, shoot more, anything to make his dream a reality. And he's going to do it because so few people think that he can do it. I mean, who believed in him then? His family, obviously. But beyond that, 
his friend Matt Matkoff, Jeremy Treatman, and himself. That really was it. But that was all going to change very, very quickly. What if they never get the exposure? All right, they never get the exposure. I'll put Lil Marion on the map. That's next week on I Am Kobe. I Am Kobe is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Mike Sealski. It's produced by Jacob Bronstein and directed by Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Stephen Tompkins is our production assistant. Our theme music is Create Yourself by Grover Brown, featuring Justin Starling. Find Create Yourself wherever you stream music. Music supervisor is Scott Velasquez for Freesound Sync. Executive producers are Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Join the conversation about I Am Kobe on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at Diversion Pods. Thanks to Oren Rosenbaum, Susan Canavan, and Jeremy Treatment. Hey, look, I rise before the sun. They don't understand when I say the grind is fun. Never clock out even when my work is done. If they trying to block me, I might hurt someone. Through the blood, sweat, and tears, we persevere. Stay killing it. Better keep the hearses near. If they don't believe in themselves, they revert to fear. Now the champ is here, so I'm telling them, that's my ambition. The reason why my work's so damn different. To the negatives, I can listen. See me at the top, you can listen. I'ma mold the clay like cash is See, I pay my dues plus taxes Gotta work ethic and grind ahead of its time If someone say that they made you, tell them you create yourself I'm the best you finna watch us, but It's about that time You gotta stay clocked in, break by break We create ourselves Watch me, watch me, create myself Track clock, time's up, create yourself Nice, go hard, create yourself. Gotta learn from the great minds. No, we ain't lying, tell them that it's game time. This talent wasn't given, it was made. The future, anytime I can change. Better tell them that I made it back home. As I walk through the halls of the fame, I came from the valley of the shadow of death. Waiting for a silver spoon, don't hold your breath. Same town, same dream, but I did it with less. I know who I'm meant to be, so there's nothing to guess. Yeah, there's nothing to guess. It's our time, tell them we up next We don't got any regrets I did it with my two hands and we never forget That's my ambition The reason why my work's so damn different To the negatives I can listen See me at the top, you can listen For real Rebuild, reshape Give it your all, you got to risk take Do it now and I'm saying why wait Someone say that they made you Tell them you create yourself I'm the best you finna watch Us by it's about that time You gotta stay clocked in Break by break We create ourselves Watch me Watch me Create myself Shack clock Time's up Create yourself Lay nice Go hard Create yourself Gotta learn from the great minds No, we ain't lying Tell them that it's game time
Engine Podcasts. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at go.tcl.com slash TCL Roku TV. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. All inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never ending fun. So booking an all inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America, and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Oh, okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.